Damari Carroll is on the shelf again. The Raptors are still relying on isolation plays. And the Philadelphia 76ers are normal? For Holly McKenzie, I'm Eric Corrine, and this is The Post Up. The Toronto Raptors are 21 and 15, which is a perfectly fine record. It continues to place them somewhere in the morass of the Eastern Conference playoff race. Uh, But there's angst in the land. Would you say that's fair to say? I think that is fair to say. Uh, I think there, I've noticed that there's like two types of reaction to where the Raptors are right now. There are the fans that are that are really rallying behind the team and are saying, okay, like two losses in a row, but Jimmy Butler had an incredible performance and the Bulls are a good team and, and the Cavs are a great team, so good effort. And then there are other people that are sort of losing their minds a little bit. Uh, yeah. And so, yes, the, to, to recap quickly, and of course it's Holly McKenzie that joins us from the Atlantic Nova time Scotia. zone. With the Raptors being on the road for a gazillion weeks, it meant that I got to extend my trip home, which is very exciting. Although I was saying to Eric, the one thing that makes me sad about not being in Toronto is not being able to do this podcast in person, which means I need to enjoy my city a little bit mm. more. Um, but yeah, I'm in Nova Scotia. So like, I, l- I like doing the podcast too, Holly, but like, <laughs> it's maybe on a, on a good week, it's like the ninth or tenth best thing of my week. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just for for the purpose of doing this by the phone, it feels a little awkward. Yeah. But, you know, anyway. Uh, so the Raptors lose to the Bulls, a come-from-behind victory for Chicago after Jimmy Butler scores a quiet 40 points in the second half. Uh, that was absurd. It, it was really, really was. I think it was the performance of the season uh, so far. Non-Steph division, yes. I, no, I but even, oh. even I think maybe even Steph division. Yeah. Because we know how amazing he is, obviously. But to break a record that Michael Jordan set in 1988 is pretty uh, pretty big time. And it's funny, like, I don't even remember many, like, easy buckets in there, you know? Like, even his drives that were quote-unquote layups, like, a lot of them were contested. A I lot certainly of them... remember the final three that he hit to... Uh, that was, to... Yes, that was not an easy bucket. <laughs> We asked uh, Damari Carroll, who we'll talk about shortly, about it, and uh, and by we, I mean there was a scrum around him, but I asked it because I sometimes ask questions. Mm-hmm. It's part of my job description. Um, and he just laughed <laughs> before getting to the answer, which I thought was appropriate. Like he, the perfect reaction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he could have he could have been closer to him, but not much closer to him. You know, <laughs> like it's he didn't I just, I he didn't have room plays. to take a dribble. I love those plays when everybody in the arena knows what's going to happen. Like, everybody knew Jimmy was taking that shot. And I love when a player is just so hot or so good that it doesn't matter. And that was that play. And then his reaction afterward was pretty great, unless you were Damari or a Raptors fan who was upset (laughs) at the shot when he was screaming that Damari couldn't guard him. But on that afternoon, it was true. Let's go unscripted into some of those moments in Raptors histories like the the two that sort of step out uh jump out to me are were the Jeremy Lin Mm three-pointer at the end of the game and uh Kyrie Irving uh, pre-LeBron 
uh, the huge three, right? Yeah, like the really big right in, three. In Jose's face, that was about yeah, thirty yeah. footer, I'd say. Any other ones? That uh, uh, the Kyrie one was the one that came to my mind, and then I w- and then coincidentally the Raptors were playing the Cavs the next night, and Kyrie was awesome again. Uh, but it was making me think of just how awesome that whole season was for Kyrie the year that he hit the the shot um, against the Raptors. He had a bunch of really great game winners that year and I was just thinking about how cool it must be in that moment like I was thinking about Butler's reaction uh and my mother's reaction to Butler's reaction and she was she was rooting for the Raptors she has become a huge Raptors fan uh since their seven game series against the Nets uh after not watching basketball my entire life she somehow managed to now become a fan and she she was not a fan of butler's <laughs> reaction i was enjoying it and it, it just made me think god like i can't even imagine doing something that cool ever in my lifetime ever like yeah imagine well we record this podcast weekly that's pretty cool yes but imagine having twenty thousand people either in love with what you just did or hating you because of what you just did yeah. and because it was so awesome so what? Be, let's let's exclude Kobe eighty one from this conversation. But after that, like, what what do you think is like the most memorable individual performance against the Raptors that you've seen? Uh, I'll start with I, I can start with mine and give you time to think about it. Well, perhaps. I have mine, so okay, I'm scared so you're going to have the same one. I feel like you should say Vince because you've seen some good Vince ones. Oh yeah, but I, I, I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me. But I, I didn't get to be at the game. Yeah. Where, well, why do you have other numbers in front of you? You did not tell me. No, I don't even have those. I, was just, I just remember it. I was going to say Kevin Durant. <laughs> Durant in the triple okay. overtime, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was that yours as well? Yes, that was going to be the, yeah, that was, that was an incredible, that was just so much fun. The Lynn game was also so much fun because it just felt like we were all on the Lynn sanity train. Like whether you wanted to be or not, it was just coming through your city if you were on the next schedule and it was. <laughs> it just felt undeniable and ridiculous, and it was really fun. The Vince game uh, that I'm thinking of, I don't even remember what the year was. It, it was early. I think it was 2009. Like 2009, 2010, somewhere because in I there. I had just moved to Toronto, and I didn't go to that game, and I'm still upset about it. Uh, but my memory of it is uh, I I think he hit a shot to extend it in, in regulation, and then he basically won it with an alley-oop inbound play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... My game story had just been blown to shreds so many times. Uh, like that's one of the only times I can remember, and not that I don't have the occasional post-game drink. But I had to, like, I, I messaged my friend and uh, shout out to Nick Patch of the Toronto Star, um, and I was like, I need a drink, and I, I very, I very rarely like am in, I need it <laughs> territory. But I, I was so that game just so thoroughly destroyed me. And uh, my will to ever write on deadline again, uh, that, uh, uh, that yeah, it, it was something. The, I think it was two seasons ago. Uh, I sometimes write on deadline, but rarely do I have a hard, like, at the buzzer deadline yeah. assignment. And I was doing my first, like, regular season assignment for the Canadian press. And that meant that I had to file right at the buzzer. And it was a game against the Wizards. Um, that never seemed to end. Uh, oh, was that the triple overtime yes. game? And J- <laughs> yes, ended with John was. Wall stepping over Kyle Lowry and Kyle getting injured. Yeah, that was not um, that was not an ideal first deadline game ever. 
And it was really funny because I didn't really know what to do. And I remember as it kept, the overtimes kept stacking up, it was this incredible game and it was so exciting and it was everything. And I just looked, I remember looking down media row and at different points of time, everyone was just like literally throwing their hands up or, or, or like, like <laughs> slapping their foreheads or well, like furiously deleting stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm not the only person yeah, that's losing their mind yeah, right now. This is crazy. Not to go to inside baseball or basketball as the case might be but it was it's fun. <laughs> but it seems like if it's your first time writing on deadline you're always gonna get a bonkers game like always there's no <laughs> like oh I, I covered too. a game and the raptors lost by 25 and uh my lead was written in the third quarter and it was fine <laughs> like that never happens <laughs> that was a f- that was another like fun game to cover though yeah uh but yeah i would say the butler the butler performance i wasn't i was not at the game uh you were um but that was to me probably the like individual performance of the season it you was, can say it was special but it was very special um yeah. and after the game uh we talked to damari carroll who had to go up against butler for some of those minutes and uh he was pretty frustrated with his uh sort of health. I, I don't know how many times he said it. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd guess four or five or six times uh, he sort of hinted at, well, I'd like to say more, but I can't, meaning he didn't want to get into the specific nature of his injuries and how they're holding him back. Uh, and he, he did that again on Monday night uh, before the Cleveland game with, uh, with reporters. Uh, he did not play in the Cleveland game. And, you know, this is... We're not at the halfway point yet, but this is getting scary now. Like, he, he just can't seem to get right at all, even with the minutes restriction, even with the time off that he had. Yeah, I think the the, the biggest thing with Damari is he needs to take the time to get right, whatever that means. Whatever the injury injuries are, and maybe there's more than one, and, and, and whatever, you know, they need to do to get him healthy, they need him to be healthy when the playoffs are here like it's great to want to play now and I know as a competitor he wants to be on the floor every night and I'm sure he pushes it sometimes uh he said himself sometimes he'll you know try to do more than what he's supposed to because he wants to be out there um but right now yes you want to go into the playoffs having your you know your starters and your your optimal lineups playing a lot of time together and, and clicking at the right time and you obviously want to have the best record that you can have and have home court and all those things but if you don't have your most important off-season acquisition healthy in the postseason what does it really matter that's sort of my thoughts on yeah, it so I whatever think, he needs to do to get healthy get healthy i think the team needs to save him from himself right now uh mm-hmm. especially because they've proven they can win games without him they've proven at times that they can de- defend pretty well without him and uh, and there's just not a lot of data out there yet that says the Raptors are better with Damari Carroll at whatever health he's been playing with. Uh, right. I and think I think they will almost certainly be better if he's closer to 100% than he is now. But I'm not sure how much they're benefiting from him forcing himself through this, you know? Yeah, I just I just think that so often we put so much stock on I know the regular season is important, absolutely. I'm not trying to discredit, you know, eighty two games, but I think that it's most important that you have everybody healthy when it really matters and 
you know, hopefully they are able to figure out what he needs to get healthy, and he's able to do that. And I think it's really hard for players. Most players in the league are, you know, super competitive people, but I think it's hard because on one hand, someone like Damari doesn't want to make excuses, but on the other hand, it's got to be so frustrating to be limited and then to not be able to talk about it, especially when you're, you've only really had a couple months with a new team and you're trying to get your teammates to know you and your fan base to know you. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure he feels like he has to prove himself. He shouldn't feel like that, but just it's human nature to want to be able to show what you can do and when you're limited, especially by things that you can't talk about or um, that you don't want to make excuses for, it's got to be extremely frustrating. Uh, yeah, and I answered this question in the video portion. It, it's sort of tricky, right? Like, Because we can say the regular season doesn't matter and this team's goals go beyond making the playoffs, certainly, and whether they finish third or fifth or sixth shouldn't matter. But, you know, before Tuesday's games, second and ninth right. are separated by two and a half games. So the East Coast they go, is a little bit crazy right now. They go on a losing streak, and all of a sudden they're in ninth or tenth or even eleventh if Washington gets their act together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm still on team caution. Health. Team, team health. Yeah, <laughs> like I, I think, I think they can get by, and I think that's the better course of action. But it's not. You understand why this isn't exactly like last year, for example. You know, what did you like? Did the, did the two losses to Chicago and uh, Cleveland stick out as really bad losses to you, or what were your thoughts on on those games? Because well, I really wasn't. I didn't yeah, really. Like the Cleveland one didn't like bother me at all. Me. Uh, like second game of back to back, Cleveland's better than them. That like, sure, I would have liked to see them not give up 122 points mm-hmm. or whatever it was. And Dwayne Casey is obviously, like if you could hear his post-game comments, he's getting very concerned about the defense, which is slipping in the rankings. Uh, didn't bother me that much. I, I j- just, you know, that's a team who I don't expect them to be with at the end. Uh, if they played them in the playoffs, I, you know, I think they'd be lucky if, they're, if the Cavs are fully healthy to take more than a game or two off them at the most. Um, so that didn't bother me. In the Chicago game, weirdly, what bothered me, and, and let's talk about this, was the offense down the stretch, yeah. which is weird in a game you give up to 115 points against a pretty mediocre offensive team in the Bulls. But uh, I chalked, you know, I think if Carroll were playing his normal workload and Jimmy Butler wasn't superhuman, they win that game. Right. Uh, but what disturbs me and let's get into this a bit, is the offense. I think the last four possessions, uh, I guess we don't really have to include the DeMar DeRozan three-pointer at the end uh, mm-hmm. because he had to take that shot, obviously. There was no time to do anything else. But the, the three possessions before that, there were essentially zero mean, meaningful passes made on those possessions, and, and those were the ones that ended up in the Lowry turnaround jumper that gave the Raptors their last lead of the game. Uh, the Lowry layup attempt that hit the side of the backboard and uh, the DeRozan sort of floater type thing in in the paint uh, in which uh, he tried to get them back even. Uh, And it's just, you know, we've seen that before and and that's what's concerning. It's it's just a complete reversion, uh, a reversion to some old habits. Yep. 
we've talked about this before and we've talked about it in the podcast and in our video segment as well. And I think that it's so easy when uh, things get close or you're trailing to go back to, to revert back to, to what you were used to doing. And hopefully that isn't what continues to happen. I do think that sometimes that happens uh, with this team when they're not super trusting their bench and the bench has had a bit of a rough streak. But uh, if you look in the past month, Terrence Ross has been playing really well since January. I know it's only been three games, but Patrick Patterson has been shooting extremely well, um, you know, since since, uh, the new year. Hopefully that sticks around too. But when you have, uh, when you know what happens, you've lost doing this before. You don't want to see a team go back to to this ISO uh, sort of just, yeah. Uh, And... I think there are fair areas to criticize Dwayne Casey. I'm not sure this is one of them. Uh, and I, I think like a lot of people were saying, well, what happened to that you know, style of play in Washington uh, where DeRozan found Joseph in the corner? These are, these are reads that DeRozan has to make, right? Like it's not like Dwayne Casey is out there barking, make this pass or don't make this pass. The options are there or they're not, and it's on the players to make them. And he made the pass in Washington because he saw it was there. Now, like, looking at that final or the second final attempt of his, uh, I think there might have been, like, a quick shovel pass to Jonas Valanciunas available. But, um, you know, DeRozan's been playing pretty much out of his mind, and I can't kill him for not making every right decision, and that would have been a... And that's sort of that's sort of what happens when uh, Kyle and Demar have both, uh, for different portions of the season, have both had you know fantastic games and stretches. And right now, like you said, DeRozan is on the past. You know, I thought that he probably should have won Player of the Month in December. Wall was incredible, but I just thought DeRozan had. You know, I don't know. I don't think I've seen him play better for an as extended a stretch as he's on right now. Um, But you sort of understand, like. You understand why they would do those things, why they would have confidence in those shots. Mm-hmm. And also, like you said, the shot from Kyle that gave them their last lead when they go in, <laughs> it's, yeah. we're all saying it's great. So it's, and yeah. when you, it's just, you know, I think part of the problem is so often during the course of the game, they get rewarded for those mm-hmm. types of drives with foul calls. And that, uh, you know, statistically, that doesn't happen as much in the right. final minute or two. Well, especially DeRozan. I mean, he's been to the free throw line more than anyone except for Harden yeah. lately. So, um, But when you see like possessions like that back to back to back, and you remember how they played last year, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's worrying, I think. And, and Patrick Patterson, after the game in, in Cleveland, was asked about uh, the, the defense and if there was any worry that the team was going to revert back to the style of play last season. Um, where you know they were focusing on their offense and hoping that offense would give them wins, he said that you know he acknowledged the defensive slippage, but he said he didn't think that that would be the problem. And he said that the group this year, you know, there's no egos and that that guys want to want to move the ball and want to want to make the right decisions. And I thought that, that was interesting because obviously he's been here for the two years, so he knows the locker room and he knows the mood and the attitude and the pieces and personalities in the locker room. Um, and I think the biggest thing that will help this team is if he you know, Patrick, Corey, Terrence can continue to perform well off the bench, then it will limit, eliminate the need for Lowry or DeRozan to feel like they need to take it upon themselves to 
carry the burden offensively and and have those yeah. sort of possessions. Yeah. And uh, as for the defense, I mean, I know it's fallen, especially in the last two games, but I don't know. I think like the pieces are there that mm-hmm. it, it shouldn't be as bad as this, right? Like it's not like last year where you can look at the roster and say, well, this makes sense if you're gonna have Lou Williams and Gravis Vasquez playing this many minutes, you're probably going to suffer your fair share of blow-bys. I think the pieces are there to be an above-average defensive team. They've been that for most of the year, and unless they continue to suffer injuries uh, to their most important defensive players, I expect that's where they'll end. uh, I like how reasoned we are, well-reasoned and, like, calm. I don't know, like, and and that's why it sort of surprised me that Dwayne Casey was so upset after the Cleveland loss. Uh, I mean, I get it. You don't want to let up 122 points, but this stuff is sort of, you know, explainable and and almost you can expect it. uh, Yeah, I wasn't really, like I said, I wasn't really upset with that. Like, not that I usually get upset, but you know what I mean? I didn't really think there was a huge, like, I wasn't uh, wasn't shocked. Like, give me that over... You know, whatever the hell happened to the Kings or the Suns earlier in the season, you know, just like a complete lack of focus. Like, I don't, I really don't think, like, I thought their effort was fine. I thought their concentration level was fine. I think they probably slipped up in a few instances and a few coverages, but nothing... Like also, that shows the Cavs a complete... made 17 yeah. threes. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're really good. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's talk about that briefly. Um is there any way beyond no. a LeBron injury this team isn't getting out of the East? No, and watching that game, and I'm not sure, I might be a little bit, I think I'm probably a little bit crazy just because I was sort of... You're definitely a little bit crazy. Well, yes, but basketball-wise, I think I was just losing my mind watching Kyrie, uh, watching you know the entire Cavs team, but just seeing Kyrie healthy and, and, and how good they are, it just made me think, oh my goodness, is, is there any other outcome besides the Cavs in the finals? Uh, against either the Warriors or maybe the Spurs. We're sort of not talking about the Spurs just because we've been so obsessed with the Warriors for good reason, but the Spurs are also killing it. And I just, yeah, like basically, yeah, I just answered your question. No. The Cavs (laughs) are a safer bet to be in the final than the Warriors, and the Warriors started 24-0. Yes, it's crazy. You know, it's... but Kyrie the, Irving's amazing, and it just made me go back to last season's finals and wonder what would have happened if everyone would have been healthy. And obviously, there's no point of that. Um, I think that you know, obviously, I think the Warriors still would have won. But I'm I'm curious to see what is going to happen. This Cavs team is just really good. <laughs> like, either of those series, Cavs, Cavs, Spurs, would be Cavs Warriors would be, and there'd be so so fantastic many treat. backstories and, and and just awesome awesome things to watch. And yeah, the Cavs are incredible. And when J.R. Smith is making eight three-pointers and and, and not doing anything too crazy. Yeah. (laughs) It is time for the high-low feed where I freestyle beat poetry. (laughs) Or we talk about things that are making us happy and sad. Two of the more simple, basic human emotions uh in but the we context have a surprise hi this week we yeah we do and uh, we were pretty excited to uh have this as a high because we sort of had decided we were not going to talk about the sixers again as a low because they have been the low for a while and 
toward the end of 2015, we said maybe we will be able to put the Sixers in the high in 2016. And here we are, first week of the new year. Are we forcing it, though? I don't think we're forcing it. I think this is good. I think it's exciting. I think that when you're that low, this does warrant a high mention. Yeah. Anyway. Highs and lows are relative, just like everything else. The Sixers have uh, signed Elton Brand, so they have brought in a veteran, uh, which is a good thing, a great thing, I think, especially for a team that has a lot of young guys who some have gotten themselves into a little bit of trouble off the court, and just having an older veteran presence around is a good thing for any team, but especially a team like the Sixers, in my opinion. Uh, they're 3-3 three and three in their last six games, and they've also brought uh, Mike D'Antoni on board to help Brett Brown and help with their offense and all of those things, and these are all exciting exciting uh, developments for the Sixers. Six, Sixers behave like... that they want everyone to trust in. I think, I think the high this week is the Sixers behaving like a team that's in the NBA. You know? Like it's... Yeah. It's... Uh, Making real steps toward... Yeah. Yeah. Since they've probably already locked up the worst... Uh, I guess the Lakers can be caught. Uh, but it, it's going to be hard with their talent level to catch up uh, mm-hmm. to having the worst record in the league. Uh, but... I think some level of normalcy there is important for the guys who are going to be part of that organization for a while, just because you want them to know how to be part of that sort of organization when you're trying to be that sort of organization. Uh, yeah, and you know? I just think making making moves that show that that's a priority is a good sign, and, and yeah, I'm, yeah. And it's nice that Elton Brand's back in the league. He's, one of the best. One of the best locker room guys around. He was always great to talk to. Uh, so, yeah. They're, they still have one more trip here, right? Yeah. I don't know. They do. They've only been to Toronto once this year. Okay. I, I would remember twice. All right. I never forget Sixers visits. If I have, you could see my face right now. Anyway. <laughs> I have forgotten many Sixers visits. <laughs> Anyway, Talk about the low congratulations because. to the Philadelphia 76ers for being a vaguely normal NBA team for a week. On You've, the other end. Yeah, not normal and not happy and not good. The Phoenix Suns. Oh, man. Womp, womp. Double womp. womp. Triple womp. Mm-hmm. Maybe even they, they might even deserve a quadruple womp. <laughs> Let's not go crazy. But the Suns are 12 and 25. Uh, they lost huge in Los Angeles against the Lakers, scored 22 points in the first half, yeah. which is not many points. It seems like, and it seems like it because it was only two years ago, two seasons ago, that they were fighting for the last playoff spot in a stacked Western Conference. Jeff Hornacek was one of the up-and-coming NBA head coaches. They were you know, sort of on the two guards, even three guard lineup sometimes ahead of the curve slightly in the NBA. They had approximately 19 point guards, yeah. Yep. Uh, And they have, you know, it's not only a rut, they have fallen off a cliff. The wheels are gone. It's funny to think of that team as one that basically finished second in the LaMarcus Aldridge sweepstakes this this offseason. Like, what how would things be looking if he decided to go there right now, you know? 
he wasn't well it's easy for me to say this now as someone who doesn't own an NBA team and isn't trying to make an NBA team better or a contender but it just seems like he wasn't going to go there and it's just oh man what a mess uh yeah, it seems like Hornacek will be done at some point this season, uh, if not And I feel kind of bad because it's like I don't really – I know that the coach is always the first move that usually, you know, has to go. But if you look at the decisions that they have made, bringing players in, sending players out, you know, going from one point guard to another point guard to two point guards to three point guards to sending one out to signing one to a long-term deal to – yeah, it's just all of it. It's just – it's a lot to uh, – there's been a lot of moving parts and – yeah. Yeah. You mentioned uh, what Goran Dragic, the ex Suns point guard, said earlier uh, in the week or, or recently, uh, sort of about how a team needs stability. And a team doesn't. We've ha- we have this conversation fairly frequently. I say that, you know, stability is only good if the thing you you're the right keeping pieces. stable is, is mm-hmm. you know, either is good or has promised to be good. Uh, but. Players like stability. Players like to know their worlds aren't going to be turned upside down because they are humans. Uh, and yeah. they've just, you know, Dragic forced their hand a bit, but maybe it's because he felt he wasn't being respected in a way that some, I, I believe he finished third team all NBA, if not well, very close. Just, like it's, that. It's, just, pretty, it's pretty much exactly what you just said. I mean, Michael Lee, um, you know, had just said basically when. Uh, Dragic was traded. A lot of Phoenix fans weren't really happy with him for sort of wanting his way out of there. But then you look back almost almost a year a year uh, later, and it's kind of like, oh, <laughs> maybe 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 his issues were uh, were were um, justified. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, even hearing him talk about it now, he said he's not trying to get too concerned with what's happening with that team because he's trying to worry about his own team in Miami. But he said that you know he he. Uh, he talked about just how tough it is to go through 25 win seasons when guys are competitive and they want to win and it kind of it sounded like he felt bad for the for the people that are that are going through it and then he played with and he didn't say anything anything bad at all uh it just sort of sounded like he appreciated the stability that um that the the heat had yeah dark days in the valley of the sun uh but it's 2016 <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. We're glad you're back with us. Uh, we hope you'll be back again. Holly won't. She'll be in Nova Scotia again for another week. I One mean, more she'll, week she'll, of she'll weird be here phone call in your, And then I'll be back. In your headphones, but not across from me, you know, make, rolling her eyes at my line of conversation. I know. How many eye rolls have we missed out on over the past couple yeah, weeks? It's a, a sunk cost. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, We look forward to talking to you next week. Happy New Year. For Holly McKenzie, I'm Eric Corrine. Have a good week.